0: Good evening. It's a joy to be with you this evening, even though it's remote. Uh, It's such a blessing to know that as a church family, we're gathering together and we're making the Word of God a priority. And you know our hearts that we make fellowship and prayer and all those things that we're encouraged to do a priority. Uh, But certainly the Word of God is important. And so thank you for taking the time and, and continuing to orient your life to do that. Well tonight I've asked two additional teenagers, they happen to be sisters, uh, to come and to just share what God is doing in their life through this time, through the, in the Word of God. And uh, this gives me an opportunity just to ask you as a church family, I know many of you are already doing this, but there are so many monumental occasions. Uh, the Jackson funeral and other funerals and Uh, celebratory things like babies and baby showers and high school graduations and college graduations. And I just ask you to continue to lift up each other and maybe as you have time go through uh, the membership and through those that you know in our church and just ask the Lord to encourage them during this time. uh, During this time of change and, and during this uh, transition time where we're not allowed to do what is natural, and that is to celebrate both uh, the homegoing of of our dear loved ones and the uh, going forth from uh, education to other opportunities. And, and so uh, Jessica will come first, Jessica Stanoian, and then Holly will follow her. And Jessica is just one of many seniors that we have this year graduating from high school. And most of their parties, their receptions, even their graduations is up in the air. Uh, we're not exactly sure yet what they can do. Uh, our church family is trying to uh, make things available uh, for our seniors, and, and we'll share more details uh, with you about that if necessary. But in the meantime, just continue to pray. You remember how special it was for your high school uh, days and for your kids high school days and uh, college and all those things. Um, and so certainly the the tragic or the the, the the times of weeping are hard to miss. each. Other. It is hard to miss each other, but so are the times of joy and celebration. And uh, certainly those of you who are going through the thick of it as well health-wise know that we love you and that we're praying for you and that we We just long to be with you in person, uh, to to comfort you, and to just know that uh, we love you. But but the time is not right, and it will be again soon, and we look forward to that day. Well, this time, Holly will come, uh, excuse me, Jessica will come, and then Holly after that. Thank you guys for being willing to be here.
1: Hi everybody um I'm really glad that I was given the opportunity to do this tonight I am Jessica Stanoyan, not Holly uh, and so as Pastor Steve said I'm a senior so um it's an especially weird time for me and the other seniors that um go here and seniors everywhere anyway um Throughout all of this, something that God's really been um trying to teach me is that um, just everything that's going on, He's got a plan for this, and even though it might seem really difficult or it might seem like there's nothing good that could come out of this, um, it's God, and everything that He does is good, and a verse that I've been holding on to is, Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 and those verses say um, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might and um The part that really sticks out to me is the immeasurable greatness. And God is beyond all of us. Like, we can try and understand what He's doing, but in the reality of it all, like, He's just completely beyond us, which is something that I think can be really comforting because, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm human, we're all human, and God is great and He's good in everything that's going to happen is good so um, I hope that I was able to touch some hearts tonight and um, I'm praying for you all and um, here comes Holly.
2: Good evening guys so um, I'm Holly Stanoyan. and I'm Jessica's sister and um, I was asked tonight to just share something that's been on my heart and so I've been thinking a lot about Psalm 73 and something that I've had to look into is just the context of that passage and I'm just going to share that with you guys tonight and then pray when I'm done so in Psalm 73 David is just at the beginning he's kind of wrestling with the fact that um well he's wrestling with the understanding of why God is putting these wicked men into power and why they're prospering when they're wicked and he didn't understand really why a good God would do that and um so in verses fifteen through seventeen he comes to the conclusion that he comes to the conclusion that um God is just so great and like Jessica was saying in these times he was just a little confused but he came to the conclusion that God had a reason for what he was doing and he could just rest in that. Um so then at the end of the chapter he's giving God recognition for um Just everything that he is and where he should be in comparison Um, so these are some of the things that I like to dwell on and remind myself of um, during these times and verses 25 through 28 say whom have I in heaven but you there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you my flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever for behold those who are far from you shall perish you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have the Lord God my refuge, and that I may tell of all of your works. So in reading this, I'm very um, just reminded of who God is and the greatness of everything that he is and that he does. Um, And at the end, it says that I may tell of your works. So that's something that I need to remind myself of, that that's something that I should constantly be doing. And I'm just hoping that, as we're going through this time, that I would just be able to get my priorities straight, and that's what it should be. Um, So that's just my challenge, and I would like to challenge you guys to do the same as well. And um, with that, I'm going to pray, and then we'll have Pastor Steve come and talk. Um, Dear God, I thank you for everything that you are and that you do. Lord, I thank you for the reminders that you've given um, Jess and I and Pastor Steve in these passages. Lord, I pray... um, Specifically for the um, Major family, as Mr. Major is going through this radiation, as it must be really tough to have medical problems right now, Lord, I pray that you would just give him peace and strength to get through this and that you would just um, show him anything you might be wanting to teach him. But, Lord, um, help him to use this for your glory, even if it's not easy. Lord, um, we know you're the great physician, and if you would um, choose to heal him, um, do that soon, please. And I pray... Um, For Mrs. Lawrence, as um, her health is declining, I pray that you would just be with her as well. Um, I thank you for the Jackson family and everything that they, um, all the ministry they have been to us, Lord, I pray Um, specifically for Mr. Jackson's wife, as it must be hard, but Lord, I pray that you would just be with her, give her peace and give her comfort. Um, I thank you for the opportunity that Mr. Jackson had to um, share just testimonies before he passed. Lord, I thank you for his life and the impact that he had on a lot of us personally, but also um, on the church as a whole. Lord, I um, pray for anybody that might be having health problems right now as that's difficult. Lord, I pray that you'd be with them. And I thank you for all of the health workers right now as they're risking their lives just to do their job. Lord, I pray specifically for the um, ones who are believers and even the ones in the church that they would just use this opportunity to share you. Um, I pray that all of us would just be using this time as a growth um, period and a time to get our priorities where they should be and that we would just focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's Pastor Steve.
0: All right, well, thank you guys very much. I'm going to take my eyes off the camera and say love you guys, and we'll see you later. And make sure you live stream as you're driving. All right. Take your Bibles this evening and let's turn to Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7 and we're going to pick up uh, in the chapter where we left off and it is a different setting, a different narrative really and so that's why we're treating this passage differently than uh, the previous passage depending on how uh, your Bible divides um, these, these sections. Luke chapter 7, and we'll begin reading in verse 36. I'm going to read through verse 39, but we're going to continue on because it really is part of the same story uh, to the end of the chapter. But for time's sake, let's just pick up here in verse 36 and, and get an understanding of what exactly is going on. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him, that's Jesus, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city, who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and kept weeping. Them, uh, excuse me, kept wiping them with the hair of her head. And kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume, now when the pharisees when the Pharisee who had invited him saw uh, this, he said to himself, "If this man were a prophet, speaking of Jesus, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner." So as we begin to unfold what exactly is going on here in Luke chapter seven. I want one word to really resonate in your minds, and that is the word transformation. And it is somewhat unfortunate that many Bible headings, I I looked at uh, several different versions and different types of Bibles um, for this study, and many of them had some uh, heading that had to do with the woman as a sinner, or maybe the woman a sinner is forgiven. And certainly that is the case, but I think more than that, there is a contrast between the Pharisee, Simon, and the woman who's nameless, who is a sinner. And that contrast serves to demonstrate just how vivid transformation in Jesus Christ really is. Luke describes this transformation by really pitting the Pharisee, Simon, against the woman, the sinner. He is self-sufficient and religious, and he is titled. And he is well-to-do and hosts banquets and people come to them, and she is nameless. She, in fact, is titled in a derogatory sense. She is labeled a sinner. But she is in Jesus Christ, and that is going to be the beauty of this passage this evening. The word transformation is the key. So the point of the story as we look about is how in the world does Luke, for us, describe, define transportation, transportation, transformation in light of this unique contrast And it's unique because many people often confuse this story with the other gospel accounts. The one in Matthew 26, excuse me, and the one in Mark, and then sometimes the one in John chapter 12. But this story is quite different. Its setting is different. It is set in Galilee, not in Judea. There's a Simon in those stories, at least in Matthew and in Mark's account, But it is not Simon named, uh, there is a Pharisee named Simon, but in Matthew and in Mark, it is a leopard uh, named Simon, a leper named Simon. And in Matthew and Mark, the woman anoints Jesus' head, not his feet, as she does here in Luke. And we'll see uh, that in even more detail. But the point is, is this is a unique uh, pericope or a unique passage in, on, in and among the gospel accounts. And, it, and Luke does something here that is quite unique to him, that he emphasizes the downtrodden, the cast, the outcast, the lowly, the sinner. And he does so in such a way that is, that is remarkable when we understand the position of, of Simon the Pharisee and so we have the setting set before us in this passage as one of skepticism from Simon's standpoint and of devotion from the woman's standpoint skepticism versus devotion and we come across one of the Pharisees in verse 36 we find out later that his name is Simon. And it's important to note that every time in the gospel account up to this point in Luke, that the Pharisees have been antagonistic towards Jesus Christ. And so really, Luke, if we were to read it in the whole, we would come up to this point and we would see Simon described as a Pharisee and understand, okay, right away, we need to sit back and we need to consider What kind of disposition this man has towards Jesus Christ, because up until this point, every single Pharisee has been antagonistic towards Jesus. But yet, Simon the Pharisee invites, he requests in verse 36, he gives an invitation to Jesus to dine with him, to host a banquet. And this was a little bit more of a formal occasion when there was an invitation that, w- that went out. And Jesus comes and, uh, and, 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 the, and we'll see that the house, that the, that the banquet hall, if you will, is opened up to the public because an uninvited woman, nameless woman, comes into the scene. One who is not supposed to be there, but yet learns of this occasion. And comes and, and, and kind of crashes, if you will uh, the, the the feast, the banquet, and there was a special kind of posture that came along with this circumstance, with this protocol with, uh, with this pomp and circumstance of, of an occasion and we see that in verse thirty six that Jesus came and he dined with Simon the Pharisee, and he entered the house, and he reclined. At the table, this was a. I'm not going to do it, though. I am sitting down tonight. I'm not going to do it. But essentially, Jesus puts his his arm on on the table and 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 postures himself so that his feet are away from his host, and that he is he is kind of reclining, as it were. And this was this was probably uh, so that uh, these occasions would last for a long time. They were more about the conversation and the dialogue than they were about the dinner, the food. And quite frankly, uh, the, the, the furniture probably was not very comfortable. Whether he was uh, sitting on, on, on furniture or on the ground, either way, it would, it would be rather hard. And so uh, one kind of postures themselves for the long haul to sit very comfortably. And the feet are... are uh, dirty. They're sweaty. Uh, certainly, it's a it's a hot, uh, a dry, uh, dirty place, and so it was very practical to have the feet as far away from uh, individuals as possible. And so that was that was the disposition. That was the the position, if you will, of Jesus during this banquet, <clears throat> which was a uh, which was a typical position. And as a youth pastor, let me tell you, I can appreciate the fact that the feet are as far away as possible. Our first mission trip ever, we went to Panama. Probably not the the smartest thing to have your first mission trip as a green youth pastor. uh, Go to international travel, let alone to to Panama, though it's a wonderful place. And it was a hot, humid Place and we had some workhorses and 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 they were working hard, they were sweating hard, and they were smelling very hard and uh, At the end of the week, after mixing concrete in the middle of the road by by shovel, um, they were tired and they were stinky and they were uh, they smelled <laughs> can't tell you what else it was interesting, but we had one member who will re- remain nameless. Uh, that had to leave early, it was planned and uh, and and so they left early um, and about halfway through the trip, we started to notice this smell in in the van in this in the 15 passenger van and, and no matter how well we cleaned it and and how much we aired it out, it would continue, and it would get worse and worse, <clears throat> excuse me, and worse up until the point that uh, it was unbearable and um, well, all this to say that at the end of the trip, we uh, we returned the van, and of course there's never a more thorough cleaning than when you're actually returning something and the kids are afraid that they're going to lose their phones and leave their, their wallets. And and so uh, someone reached underneath the seat and said, hey guys, I, I realized what exactly was smelling this whole time. And it was that teenager's shoes that were left. Um, even though he had departed us, and uh, they were bad, they were really bad. They smelled. Our, our feet have a tendency. Maybe your, not your feet, but most everybody else's feet have a tendency to really smell if they're stuck and if they're dirty and if they're sweaty in a confined place. And and um, and needless to say, that those shoes. Uh, no one really volunteered to to let to take those shoes back to the individual. And so I think they just went in the trash can, unfortunately. But that was the posture here, is feet as far away as possible. And uh, this was a formal dinner. Uh, There were no paper plates. There were no uh, styrofoam cups. There were no plastic solo cups. If if Grandma was around and, and if China had been invented yet, not the country but the plate, uh, they, they would have been out Ch- grandma would have got her china out she would have cleared off the dining room table from all the stuff that, that you don't know where to put for the, for the week she would have cleared that off she would have sent out the invitations and this would have been a formal occasion and so it was special and twice Jesus is recline, mentioned that he was reclining, so Luke wants us to understand the 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 sentiment of what is going on in verse thirty six and then again he says it in verse thirty nine and yet there 's an uninvited guest that comes in, and this is not odd because during these formal occasions, these formal banquets, um, the public was there was an open door policy, and the public was welcome to come in and to kind of take the perimeter. And they weren't welcome to dine. They weren't welcome to eat. <clears throat> but they were welcome to listen. Because this really was a, uh, a venue for dialogue and conversation. And for the teachers to show off. And so why did Simon the Pharisee go to the trouble of inviting Jesus as a guest of honor if he was so antagonistic towards Jesus? Well, the contrast between the woman and Simon really starts to show Simon's cards, if you will. And so we see we're introduced to the next character in this narrative, the woman in verse 37. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. She's nameless, but she's described as a known sinner, she's never identified. Some think that this is Mary Magdalene, but that doesn't quite make a whole lot of sense because Luke introduces her in just the next chapter. She's nameless, I think, for a reason, and we'll talk about that later. But she is a woman in or of the city. And some people have taken this phrase as as kind of a a connotation like we would say today. She's a woman of the corner. She's a woman of the street. She's a street worker, And the question is, is that really a a New Testament uh, or first century connotation? And it it certainly doesn't seem that way. As in my study, uh, between the Septuagint, that's the Greek Old Testament and the New Testament, that phrase occurs six times in relation to women. And and, and just one time is it um, describing a prostitute. So one out of six... (coughs) excuse me, is, is not a very good uh, uh, ratio for us to, to take that meaning and to apply it as a street worker. Uh, nonetheless, it is a curious thing when Luke describes a woman in the city who is a sinner. And our our names want to fill in, okay, what kind of sin is it? Certainly it has to be something uh, uh, pretty significant. If, she, if, if her title is, is a sinner, and uh, that would be true. That would be true. But remember, uh, so were tax collectors. In fact, uh, of the three times, uh, of of the several times, I should say, probably four or five times that that Luke uses this phrase in kind of a, a, a title uh, sense. Um, three of those times, he couples it with tax collector. They are he is a tax collector and a sinner he 's a tax collector and sinner he 's with the tax collectors and the sinners and so regardless of what the sin is, we don 't want to real, uh, 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 lose the fact that she is it is scandalous that she is here and it is scandalous and, and her and her reputation precedes her and is with her and while Simon inv- invites jesus um, Uh, This woman shows devotion. Simon shows skepticism. But this woman shows devotion. And here's the devotion that is brought. Beginning in verse 37. uh, As Jesus is reclining at the table. She brought an alabaster vial of perfume. There are eight verbs in this in this few next few verses that describe what the woman does she i missed the first one actually verse 37 she learned that jesus was going to be there she didn't know um, maybe perhaps the time but she learned she wasn't invited but she waited and when it was time for her to enter she did And she was in the background, in the shadows, for quite a bit of it. But eventually, she comes to the fore. We don't know the specifics of why she came. We don't know the specifics. We can only assume that she knew of Jesus, that that she maybe even had met Jesus and had heard of his teaching and had felt relief of the Savior but either way she has already had she already comes to the point in a relationship with Jesus Christ that she expresses in no uncertain terms her complete and wholehearted devotion towards Jesus Christ so she learned about Jesus and she brought an alabaster vial of perfume that that vial would be hanging around her neck and it was essentially like uh, a glade plug-in that would be plugged into an outlet and, and it would permeate, the smell would permeate the room it would be activated by the heat well, she wouldn't plug anything into an outlet there weren't outlets but, but the alabaster vial would hang around her neck and it would become heat activated by her body and that, that body heat activation would cause the perfume to be infused into the air and so this was the cultural way to to get rid of or cover up body odor. You know, we have deodorant that hopefully cancels it out, uh, but in this sense it was it was expensive and it was costly, but it was it was something that you did if you if you wanted to be somebody or if you if you wanted to impress somebody. And so you would wear an alabaster uh vial around your neck and it would it would uh, be a, a cologne, a fragrance, that would be helpful in these social settings. Not only did she bring an alabaster vial of perfume, uh, but she was standing. She stood next to Jesus, in fact, right by his feet. She's at the, at the lowliest position. She's in the background. She's not towards where the action is, but she is in the behind, and, and, she, is, and she is by his feet, And she begins to weep. Verse 38. She begins to weep. She is intimate with Jesus. She knows who he is. And she sees his feet. She sees how dirty they are. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God, the Promised One, just like me. Who has dirty feet. And that overwhelms her. And that causes the, the thought of who Jesus is, and the thought of what he has taught her and what he is to her overwhelms her, and she begins to weep. And this weeping turns into raining. That's that's literally the sense of this next verb. In verse 38, she began to wet his feet. She began to rain her tears, a downpour of tears, onto the Savior's feet. And so she expresses her emotion in a very real, in a very overwhelming way. And her emotions are flooding her tears right onto his feet and she takes her hair and she here's the next verb wipes she cleans his feet her, her her tears are enough that she's able to actually clean his feet with her tears and then she kisses them what an what an intimate expression of her devotion, of her love. Some people will, will, will call this inappropriate. But my friends, I, I think in the context here, this is just an overwhelming expression of her love for her Savior. And she anoints his feet. She breaks, or she unbottles the alabaster flask this vial of perfume one that is reserved for the social settings of the day one that is costly and she pours it onto jesus's feet now cleaned by her tears and she expresses in no uncertain terms that jesus is worth every penny that jesus is worth every emotion That Jesus is worth every fear. That Jesus is worth every embarrassment. And she anoints his feet. And here, in this next verse, we start to see where Simon's motivation, his duplicitous motivation of inviting Jesus, comes in. Verse 39, now the Pharisee, Simon, who invited Jesus said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of person this woman is touching him, that she is a sinner. Simon makes the statement to himself, and that's something we need to lock away for for just a brief time to make significance of that. But Simon's doubt becomes evident in his murmuring, in his silent accusation. Jesus isn't a prophet. Jesus isn't who he says he is, because if he were, he would know this woman. And he would do something about this woman, and he would tell her. But remarkably, Jesus seems to just be passive at this point. And just let her do all of these eight verbs. Weeping, raining, cleaning, drying, anointing. And so Simon's accusation, interestingly, is an accusation of ignorance. That Jesus is ignorant about this lady. It is not an accusation of association. It's interesting to me that even Simon, a Pharisee, knew Jesus well enough that he couldn't say, Aha! This Jesus, he has associations with this lady. He he won't condemn this lady, and he obviously knows this lady, and how does he know her? He's hanging around with the kind of sinner that she is. So let's take for a moment that as some suppose that she is a prostitute. Simon doesn't stand up and say, Jesus knows this prostitute. And Jesus, how do you know her? Where have you met her, Jesus? Oh, innocent one. He doesn't do that. He murmurs to himself, in silent doubt, that Jesus just doesn't know who she is. That he is completely ignorant. And remember, it is described that she is a woman in the city. So she is a resident. She isn't a a transient. She is known. And she is known in such a way that she is a sinner. But he can't accuse. Simon cannot accuse Jesus of uh, improper associations. The best he can do is accuse Jesus of ignorance. Well we have looked at the setting of the story and the setting of the story is uh, telling us of Simon's self-sufficiency of Simon's skepticism and contrasting that to the woman's wholehearted devotion and love to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Jesus takes this opportunity to say something to Simon. And it is interesting that what he says in a twist of irony, um, Simon s- accuses Jesus silently, but Jesus answers Simon. Look at that in verse forty, as we get into the parable that Jesus is about to say, and Jesus answered him. I love how Luke just 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 makes it so apparent. Simon said this to himself. But Jesus answered what Simon said. In fact, so many times when Jesus reads the minds of his opponents, he he stands with his words ready to rebuke them for their thoughts. And he does so here. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon replied, say it, teacher. A word reserved for reverence, a word reserved for someone of position and authority, and, and certainly in irony. Simon in, in false humility, Simon uh, calls Jesus a teacher, because we know already what Simon is thinking about Jesus. why even Simon invited Jesus to this banquet in the first place so that so that Jesus would trip up so that in this dialogue, in this more intimate setting of dialogue that that Jesus would say something and that, and that Simon could stand and accuse Jesus of being Uh, a blasphemer and so Jesus says a money lender has two debtors one owed 500 this is verse 41 and the other 50 when they were unable to repay he graciously forgave them both so which of them will love him more which of them and Simon answers I suppose the one who forgave more And Jesus says to him, You have judged correctly. But turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I have entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Jesus contrasts the behavior of Simon and the behavior of the woman. The one who has a name with the one who is nameless. The one who has a prestigious title, a Pharisee, a religious somebody with the one who has a derogatory title she is a sinner the one who approaches Jesus with doubt in fact duplicitly having a, a, a motivation to invite Jesus to his own banquet with the one who approaches Jesus with wholehearted devotion a one that has a few sins Look at verse 46. Excuse me, verse 47. For this reason I say to you, her sins which are many have been forgiven, for she loved me much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus' point is it, isn't it the scales matter for sin, but Jesus' point is that Simon esteems himself high, lofty. If I do have sin, it is a few. Versus a woman like that. A woman who has all her life sinned. And can be characterized as a sinner. And so Jesus really gets to the point of the parable. And the point that Luke is telling us here. That self-deception is devastating. And Simon... You have it. You, as a Pharisee, as a religious one, are self-deceived. You, Simon. Your self-deception is quite real. And Jesus' warning applies to those who are self-deceived. Those who have little need for forgiveness... Are not forgiven. So, question tonight how do you view yourself? That's really what Simon asked, isn't it? He looked in the mirror, he looked at his reflection, he looked at everything that was known about him, and he seemed to measure up quite okay. The epitome of self deception. He was titled, he was a host of a popular, well attended banquet he was a man who in his eyes had very few sins and no need for forgiveness. And I do enjoy Aesop's fables, and so I have another one tonight. I know I brought one up last week. But this is one of a dog who was carrying a piece of meat. And it really articulates well the problem of self-deception. And so this version of the fable goes, A dog was carrying a piece of meat in his mouth to eat at home. And on his way... He crossed a bridge that, so that he could get across a brook. And as he crossed the bridge, he looked down and he saw his own reflection in the water. Thinking it was another dog with another piece of meat, he made up his mind to have that piece of meat as well. And so he snapped at that dog, that reflection in the water. But of course he opened his mouth and the piece of meat fell out, dropped into the water, and was lost. Self-deception costs a great deal. Self-deception costs a great deal. Just another quick illustration. Robin's tend to do this. Birds tend to do this in the springtime. For the last couple of years, I have a garage window that, for some reason, catches the eye of one particular robin. At least I think it is. He comes back every year. And it took me probably about a year and a half to figure out what in the world was going on. Maybe I googled it. I got tired of it. I got frustrated. This bird literally would spend all day chasing after its reflection in my window. It would fight it. It would take its beak and it would pick at the window that was leaving a mess all over the window ledge and i got tired of it and i realized that the bird was fighting itself it was a male robin and in the spring they lay out their territory and this robin wanted nothing to do with that robin in the window and so he fought, and he spent all his time, literally, as soon as they got up, as soon as it got up in the morning, till it went to bed at night, or nest at night, or whatever robins do. It picked and picked and picked at that window. I thought it was going to pick itself to death, literally. And so, to get rid of it, so I could have a clean window ledge, I mean, the sidewalk next to it was just gross, because the robin would do nothing but poop and pick. You can tell I'm a youth pastor. And so I I put a piece of cardboard over that window to get rid of that robin. To get rid of his self-deception. Just like that dog staring at the brook with the piece of meat. Just like that robin picking at itself in the window. Self-deception leads to utter waste, my friends. To utter ruin. And that is Jesus' point here. That, Simon, you are self-deceived to ruin and all of your religious friends with you. You need to be like this woman who came to me and loved me because she understood who she was. So the problem, my friend, is... Not how do you view yourself. That actually is the problem. The the question, I should say, to ask is how does God view you? How does God view you? The woman of the city, the sinner, asked the question, what does God think of me? And Jesus answered, your sins are forgiven. Look at verse 47 and verse 48 again. For this reason I say to you, your, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. So she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven you. Those who were reclining at the table, so there's obviously others around this banquet, and those who had the, 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 the prestigious position of reclining at the table with Jesus, the other Pharisees, they said to, the, they said to themselves, who is this man who, has even the, who, who can even forgive sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so tonight, believer, the one who has asked God, what do you think of me? And fallen far short, just like this woman. This is a reminder for us tonight that wholehearted devotion to your Savior is necessary. And it is good. And it is the proper response to one who has their sins forgiven. And so let me ask you tonight. Where is the seat of your affection for the Lord Jesus Christ? Because one who recognizes what Jesus has done for them. Is one who readily and eagerly and longingly and searchingly falls at their Savior's feet and weeps in devotion and utter adoration for their Savior. And have you noticed this woman has not said a word this whole time, and yet it is clear, crystal clear, just how much she loves Jesus Christ. Her actions say it all, don't they? And we may look at her emotional outpouring and may dis- dismiss it as a weakness of a particular gender, which I would have to be lumped into, I guess, at that point, or dismiss it as a dramatic and unnecessary or maybe even problematic that we can let our emotions control us and, and even ruin us. But we would be missing the point, the utter point of this passage. It wasn't the place for her to speak. It wasn't the place for her to teach. It wasn't the place for her to proclaim. But she found a way to express her devotion, her wholehearted love to Jesus anyway. And some of you, through this time of quarantine, have found a way to express your wholehearted devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ anyway. So what are you doing? How are you expressing your wholehearted devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ? To the one who has transformed you? There's two people listening tonight. There's Simon the Pharisee, Simon the self-sufficient, Simon the skeptic. And there's the nameless woman who's characterized in wholehearted devotion. My friends, as we consider this passage tonight, fall with the woman at Jesus' feet. Do not shrug off the clear command, the call to come to Jesus as Savior. Let's pray. Father, you transform sinners. You redefine them and you cause them to have a testimony of love for their Savior. And so each one of us tonight who knows Jesus as our Savior, who has placed our faith in the one who saves, we too long to fall at your feet in devotion. We long to read our Bibles more. We long to get along more with our spouses and to be selfless and to love the way you love. We long to treat those who treat us poorly the right way. We long to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so help us tonight in our actions. Not just in word, but in our actions to love you as we no matter the cost. No matter the embarrassment. No matter the situation. Help us to love you as we ought. With all of our heart. And to express it just like this woman. With no reservation. Lord, I long to be like this sinner. This sinner that has been transformed by grace the sinner who was once defined as a sinner but now is redefined by faith saving faith in her savior in Jesus name we pray amen my friends oh we love you have a good night